facts are some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. We have, uh, it's been so long since we've done a panel show. It's so great to have everybody back. And we're going to do our very first abortion episode, which I'll explain why in 1,300 episodes we've never done one. Uh, Right after this, we're going to talk about a little morality, a lot of legal, and it's going to be a constructive, friendly conversation amongst people who disagree on a highly contested topic. See if you can find that somewhere else. I dare you. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media. Welcome to the program. It is so great to have you all here. Uh, It has been a while since we've done a panel show. Summer vacation has been kind of rough. I've managed to kind of keep it consistent, but... Between me, Harry, Dennis, I don't think ever goes anywhere. Uh, excuse me, Reinhold, sorry. Uh, but that's why I called you that. That's how I refer to you in real life. First, before we get started, we want to ask you to join Patreon. That is how we keep the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network going. And we are so thankful for everybody that gives to Patreon and keeps the lights running and just supports a type of uh, content that you don't get a lot of other places, um, meaning orthodox libertarianism that's nice. Anyway, so uh, you can get access to bonus episodes. There's a couple bonus episodes. Right now I've got my personal opinion articulated and elongated in uh, the the Patreon. I'm not going to put that into the feed because I'm, I'm going to have a lot of conversations. I've never really had a lot of conversations or read a lot about abortion, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, so my first draft is there. Uh, you get ad-free episodes. You also get the complete archives of, of the uh, entire network back in the Patreon. We want to especially thank our $100 a month members, they are uh, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. And we want to welcome back uh, our friends Casey Feldposh and where's where'd his name go? Uh, ah, shoot. Anyways, we'll have to edit this part out. Uh, it. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Harry, I don't think is joining us. Um, John Pusillo, I'm so sorry, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we don't need you, but you are welcome, Harry. All right. So anyways, Harry is hanging out in the background. Um, first, I just want to say that intro that you heard, this is, uh, the final time that you'll probably hear that because we are doing the show in... A different way where I'm doing a lot more interviews. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to have two different sets of intros. So if you are a fan boy of the or fan person 
of the intro, then you're going to um, just have to go back, and I, I can send it to you. You can replay it. But we're going to have just a, a simpler, more straightforward thing. Doing a lot more nonprofit interviews. I think I hope that you'll enjoy those because I've uh, restarted my nonprofit show. And I think it's great to talk to people who are on the ground as well as promoting the work of people who are on the ground working. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these, it's, it's just sort of hard to interview like uh, somebody and then have them sit through Don- Donald Trump and Ron Paul yelling. Um, so, and we're just, you know, the, the panel show is a little bit here and there. It'll still continue. That's not going to change. Um, but, uh, we're just going to do something a little bit simpler. Now, why have we never done an abortion show in 1300 episodes? Because as I have told you before, it's all settled. It's never going to change. (laughs) Uh, so I started in talk radio in 2004 And I want to mention the passing of my mentor and friend, Andrew Lee, who was the program director up in uh, Minneapolis of a talk station, Twin Cities Talk, and uh, co-host, essentially, to John Justice. And my condolences go to him and Andrew's family. Andrew took a chance and hired me in 2004 as an intern and let me do far too much as an intern. Run the board. I was late. I got a C-plus on that internship. Uh, But nevertheless, he hired me on to... Uh, to be a part-timer, which led to a full-time position with Abdul, which led me to my literal dream job as the web director of the Bob and Tom Show, uh, where I'm at currently, in addition to doing all of this. And Andrew, I went to him and said, you know, we really should podcast Abdul in like 2005. And he said, I don't know what that is, and no, we're never going to do that. Um, And I just... I, you know, I just loved Andrew, and he took a chance on me. I I called it, this is how Republican I was. I was mad that Michael Savage was being interrupted by Indianapolis Indians games, and uh, I was complaining to him because it was interrupting my pizza delivery, and he just wrote back, do you make your own dough? Didn't even respond to my question. Uh, and from there, we just got started talking, and, and we were friends for a long time, and uh, it's very sad to hear of his passing. But when you're in talk radio, you didn't, you didn't talk about abortion. You know, when I was producing the morning show for Abdul, we weighed in on a lot of topics. But abortion in 2007 was the one that you didn't talk about, because it was too, it, it was too inflaming, it was too... If you're if you run a talk radio show, you can kind of tell this. It's it's a little bit of WWE. It's a lot of uh, cheap heat, as they would call it. You need your heel, like Rob Kendall out there, inflaming people, um, trying to generate you know uh, people's anger, uh, which is what I've rejected a lot here on this show, which is why we're not as popular. But. Uh, abortion was real heat, and it was real toxic, and you just couldn't talk about it. And the thing about the world now is that everything has become an abortion topic. So if you don't remember politics before now, everything fe- this is what abortion felt like 15 years ago. Uh, and it's a very uh, contentious topic. So I've avoided it for the most uh, most part of my career because that's just what I was trained to do. That's just sort of like it's a settled question. There's no point in everybody being pissed off. Um you know, for my own personal opinion, like I said, I put it in the bonus feed. I'll be very clear. I am pro-life. I believe life begins at conception. Uh, I do believe that there are carve-outs to it. 
I don't think that things like ectopic pregnancies are abortions. When it comes down to choosing between the life of the mother and the life of the child, there's no question it's the life of the mother. Uh, I am deeply concerned about Republicans' abilities to legislate anything uh, because I pay attention. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Um, and I want to bring on the panel now that I've given my bias. Almost everybody on the show today disagrees with me. Uh, and that is because I want to uh, give voice to people who have points of view that I haven't thought of. Um, and we'll do different shows from different angles on abortion moving forward. Uh, but I want to be clear about where I stand. And it, this past week, if you've lived under a rock, uh, I will give you a basic summation of the conservative view of Roe v. Wade and Dobbs. And then we'll let Claire, uh, Clara, Sarah uh, sort of say, well, this is what the other side says uh, to begin with. But essentially, Roe v. Wade in 73, there's a great podcast called Slow Burn, and it is uh, tremendously done, and they did, they're doing Roe this season, actually. And uh, Jane Roe essentially went to have an abortion somewhere between five to seven months. They're not really sure where. Uh, and someone in a diner was talking about the fact that she had one, maybe someone from the medical staff, and a policeman overheard it. She was then uh, taken to jail, put in jail, and charged with a, a misdemeanor, three different charges, and then uh, was put on trial. And the it went all the way up to the Florida Supreme Court, which struck it down and released her. But the it ended up going to the Supreme Court and made Roe v. Wade. Now the end of the uh, the end of it, she was charged with one of the three misdemeanors and put on parole. And her parole was she either had to marry her boyfriend or leave the state. Which I don't know how you can't look at any, that at anything but tyrannical. Uh, and the the case, essentially, when Roe v. Wade was decided, was nullifying 43 states' different abortion laws. You started to see a lot of different abortion laws nullified or, or changed at that time. But Roe v. Wade changed it overnight and created the constitutional right to abortion. And what the conservative justices argued in Dobbs is that we are returning this back to the democratic means. Now, it was never articulated the states in these opinions because there's a very real possibility that Congress can or will uh, pass through Congress either a pro, you know, a pro or anti-abortion law. Codify Roe. I think it's more likely that you'd see um, Roe v. Wade with a constitutional right to abortion pass through Congress than Mike Pence's vision of having it uh, passed. Um, but that is fraught with all kinds of different privacy concerns because in Jane's, which is not her real name, in Jane's case, you see the privacy concerns surrounding her situation. Um, so with me today, after we've kind of set that up, is a, a cast of characters, not Harry, who is uh, just doesn't have his face on right now, he says. He was, uh, I think, hoping for another week off. Um, but with us is Reinhold, old trusty Reinhold, who is here to present the white male version. Uh, thank you, Reinhold, for being with us. I'm glad to be here. And I think it is important that we get the white male 
view on this topic. Well, so we haven't had enough for that. of our vision presented, uh, and really, I am an expert at uh, wombs. All right, next up is Trisha Stewart Ban, host of Ginger Archie. We are about to post, as soon as I get it done, an interview with Brian Nichols. You've got one with Hody on Gamergate. Uh, so make sure you go check out Gingerarchy. Sign up for that. Uh, Trisha, how are you today? I am doing well. And I actually probably have a closer opinion to yours than other people. So I'll give you um, the ginger female perspective because that's <laughs> always very important. Uh, Sarah Brady. Uh, who is just an all-star in my book. Uh, I love Sarah and Reinhold in our group because I get, I'm get i just liberal enough to get a lot of liberal people following me, but I'm just conservative enough to piss them off. And so they sort of start taunting me until they just give up. Uh, but Sarah and Reinhold are two friends that have not given up. And we're doing this show because I just I've learned so much reading what they've said about uh, all of this in the group chat that I just think it's a worthwhile discussion. And Sarah is one of the smartest people I know and uh, really knows so much more. You know so much more about wombs than I do. Um, So thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, You know, I I like to, to think I have a kind of a really comprehensive view on the issue just from going through dealing with um, not only knowing people who've had abortion, but having, you know, been pregnant, like, you know, Trisha also can speak to the motherhood experience, but having also dealt with the, the infertility, this as a, a an end of life kind of conversation when it comes to libertarianism is really difficult to have. And I really appreciate you having it for us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, new to the program, but one of my favorite people, uh, my favorite new friends is Kat from the podcast Fake Ass Book Club. They had me on their podcast to talk about Scary Close. Um, Kat and I, is it fair to say we're frenemies? We are friends, but I love that you and I can argue in the DMs, and we go back and forth. Um, you're one of the smartest people I know, and you said, look, you just need to have me on your show to talk about this. And so I said, okay. I wouldn't say we're frenemies. That's how I talk to my friends. <laughs> Good. All right. That's how I talk to my friends, too. Uh, so I just say we're friends. Reinhold can uh, can verify that. I, I give Reinhold more crap than anybody else, but I love that's just because I love him the most. Um, And I would just like to say with my background, um, because I've been on both sides of these issues, I was raised in a very conservative church and was um, pro-life for years. And now I would say I'm pro-good life. Okay. So I'm more on the um, side of letting people decide what they want to do with their life. Yeah, I mean, I was very pro-choice until a relationship where, you know, I, I, I was not my child, but abortion was involved and it sort of led to the end of the relationship and it started to make me think. So it's like people's life experiences over time on this issue shade a lot of things, Sarah. I mean, and, and we can articulate more where you all stand if you want before we move on to kind of the case because I think that's an interesting discussion, Cat. Maybe you want to talk more about it. As, as you go on, like I know as a man who has been married twice and now, you know, we are actively trying to have children and we are having issues. You learn a lot more and you learn about how complicated it is and all these tests that you have to get and what you have to do. And um, it, to be candid, my wife has put this out there. We have been married 
six months and we've had four miscarriages, which is not uh, fun. (laughs) And trying to discover what is going on has led to quite the education on how difficult conception is and how difficult it is just to be a woman. I mean, Reinhold, we don't have the same, like, I wake up and shower and then just have sex and that's it. I don't have any other, I don't have to think about anything else. Um, but it, th- I think that sounds awesome. It is. It really is yeah. great. <laughs> I don't have to get anything really tested other than my blood sugar now, <laughs> but I just, I think that has shaded my view on, on like the legislation portion of this. I mean, it, it has not necessarily moved my view on the morality of the issue, but I mean, Sarah, maybe we start with you. Like, how has your your experiences with IVF and infertility and finally becoming a mother, how has that kind of shaded this for you personally? Um, so I, I think what you said was really relevant, which is that there are two different elements to this, which is there's kind of how you view it personally and morally and then how you view it uh, legally and what you would legislate. And it's so easy to combine those two. Uh, but I think, you know, that's kind of where the libertarian strength comes in, that we can discuss how those can be separate. So my view has really firmly developed more that I w- don't think that it's okay to legislate um, forcing a pregnancy to continue. Because when we're talking about abortion, another part reason that this gets, you know, kind of confused is that abortion by itself is the procedure of terminating a pregnancy. And the tragic result that comes from that in many cases is that if you terminate a pregnancy, there is a human life that dies because it cannot live without being connected to somebody else's body in order to grow to the point where it could live on its own. But abortion itself is just removing the pregnancy. So when we talk about the medical side of that, it really comes into light when you have to deal with the medical side of trying to reproduce. Because, you know, you you talked about how Reagan has gone through many miscarriages. And part of that is those are termed medically as a spontaneous abortion. So that is still her body removing a pregnancy. And the way that it comes down to the healthcare portion of it, if her body was not able to remove that pregnancy, she would have to go to the hospital and have an abortion procedure that is the exact same procedure that they would do to surgically remove an unwanted pregnancy that maybe could have been taken to the point of viability. So when we talk about legislating those issues, that's why it's talked about as being a healthcare issue, because it really crosses over not just into women who are dealing with unwanted pregnancies, but abortion is a procedure that is used for women who are really seeking to have a pregnancy that that is taken to the point of being carried to full term. Um, you know, when women go in and you have as part of a wanted pregnancy, something that turns out that the fetus is not viable or it becomes dangerous to the mother, um, even in those terms of ectopic pregnancies, removing a pregnancy is still abortion procedure. So if we want it to be, um, separate, we really can talk about it in terms of, is it okay to terminate a life in the process of terminating a pregnancy? Um, but when we legislate the issue as just abortion, It covers everything in that realm. And it leads to situations where 
uh, a woman can end up in the hospital bleeding out because she her body is trying to have a miscarriage. And the proper medical thing, if abortion is illegal, is to just keep transfusing blood and hope that her body figures it out. Uh, and in that case, the thing to do that would save her life would still kill the fetus. And before Roe versus Wade, there were laws on the books that did legislate abortion and things like that. And those were the outcomes. You know, we talk about death panels when it comes to socialized and government controlled health care. And that is literally what happens in these cases. When you have laws that are trying to balance the um, issue around those two lives, you end up having panels of people at hospitals who have to determine whether a woman is supposed to be kept on constant transfusions of blood, hoping that her body will save a pregnancy or to remove the pregnancy and actually save the woman. And those are such complicated issues that really are not done any help when uh, we add health kit, when we add law into the situation. So, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I wanted to say in the Roe case in Florida, which the law was written in the 1800s, I think it was in the late 1800s because Florida didn't become a state till later. But the the law that was overturned by the Florida Supreme Court before Roe v. Wade was ever decided, so the state figured it out on its own without the Supreme Court's help, by the way, um, was that abortion was allowed until the quickening, which they explained was the moving of the child in, in the stomach, uh, and it was also allowed in the case of saving the mother. And Planned Parenthood and Live Action, which is a very pro-life action group, all agree that the situation that you're talking about, abortion should be allowed. It's not even to live action considered an abortion in their terminology, um, which is a staunchly pro-life group. It's the legislatures that want to make you bury your miscarriages and get death certificates for them that are, in a lot of cases, I think, going to defy the pro-life and the pro-choice groups and go against sort of what you said. But I do want to... I, and there were a lot of the trigger laws that had that exception for what you're talking about, correct, Sarah? Well, that's that's where it gets hard when you get into legislation is because the way we talk about it when we're having conversations really about the morality of the issue is absolutely not transfer over into the way that they legislate the issue. So, you know, when we talk about abortion, like you said, there are plenty of groups who say, oh, well, those health care abortions, those aren't really abortions. But when you write laws about abortion, those are abortions. And so what they try and do is they try and write in carve outs. And what we see is kind of a patchwork state to state where some states were like, oh, I thought about that. And then in other states, you know, you have Ohio debating whether or not we should require physicians to try and re-implant ectopic pregnancies. Uh, you know, so you have such this range where in some states you may have legislation that's very, very specific and thinks of all of these different situations in which, you know, we're going to just write down on the books exactly how you're supposed to handle these situations. But it's such a complex issue that you're always going to have, you know, exceptions to those uh, situations and things that didn't get thought about. And then in those situations, who decides? Well, you just have to go off of the letter of the law. Kat, jump in here. Happy to, Chris. So um, just a strong agree to Sarah there, because the other part of this is that abortion is is a medical procedure that's become stigmatized because I love that you pointed out that medically a miscarriage is a spontaneous abortion. And that's just something I learned after it happened to me. I feel like this goes into sex education, which is also something that is trying to be struck down by people who are trying to legislate 
um, and stigmatize these procedures that are often life-saving. And like at the end of the day, very private. If we belong to ourselves, if my body and I mean, considering my over part of them and my over all of that of me, if I'm just being treated like a 3D printer, then I think that everything kind of starts to fall apart as far as liberty is concerned. Trisha, do you want to weigh in? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I am personally pro-life um, and, and it's really strange for me to try to describe how I feel about abortion. But again, what Kat and Sarah said. Absolutely. Um, as an anarchist, I don't believe, you know, in states legislating morality because it never works. Um, and we go into a lot of danger zones where privacy is concerned. I worry about miscarriages possibly being investigated. And if anybody's ever had an ex-mother-in-law or an ex-spouse, <laughs> that's not a nice person. Oh Lord, that could be really, really dangerous. Um, just the way CPS can do, you know, and anything that they could do, uh, could happen. But as far as like, um, my personal beliefs, I do believe life begins at conception because I'm a spiritual person. Um, I believe in a creator and I believe that, uh, human beings are divine and made in the image of their creator. However, that is my, um, spiritual belief. And there's no way I can force somebody else to believe that. And I do believe in some circumstances, uh, some circumstances warrant taking a life. I think that sometimes, it is. It may not be the easiest choice, but I do not think it is wrong. Um, there's a few exceptions for me. Obviously, the mother's life, because you're choosing life at that point. It's just a different one. Um, I do believe if the child is not going to be viable to continue to carry it when it's going to die, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's just causing more pain for two people and possibly hurting the mother as well, because <clears throat> pregnancy is dangerous. And then I do believe in the case of rape or incest that you should not be mandated to carry someone else's life and it is okay to end a life. Now, some women choose not to do that and that's also their choice. So I think any legislation prohibiting it can really get into dangerous areas, especially the trigger laws in Ohio, which Sarah mentioned, which are, I think they were just written as a virtue signal because they make absolutely no sense. <laughs> um, really, really poor legislation. And the the procedure to put an ectopic pregnancy back into the womb, it doesn't really exist. How so is I'm that not, sure not arguing that? <laughs> artificially intervening in life. If you're just from a biblical point of view, if your goal is to, well, let God figure it out, like uh, all right. Anyways, uh before I move on to Reinhold, I want to make sure you're done, Trisha. Yeah. So that's basically my overview. I know sometimes it can, it's hard. And I'm, I like that we're having this conversation together um, and not screaming at each other because trying to tell people that I believe sometimes you can take a life um, sounds really disturbing to some people, but I, I appreciate being able to try to explain that the best I can. So. Oh, lefty Reinhold. Chris, let's hear. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Cat, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Chris, real quick, we're not going to be able to scream at each other. I thought at the end, this becomes a loud screamy fight. Oh, we can. And it does okay. get contentious sometimes. <laughs> Feel free to scream. Okay. Shout your abortion. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's I'm the extra saying. Patreon glad... special. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear what Reinhold No, nah, you know, I, I just, uh, I am more and more convinced, uh, like, uh, as I try to figure out what I'm doing with this show, because it's not that I'm not libertarian. It's just that libertarians make it clear I'm not one of them as much as I used to be. 
Uh, and as I feel more and more alienated from that group and don't necessarily feel that I have much in common with where the libertarian movement is going, I've just sort of felt for like two years, like my politics divides people. So you're going to hear on Monday uh, a podcast with a group on the Indiana Coalition of Domestic Violence. She's a social worker who does prevention where she goes to schools to teach people how to be nonviolent, right? And I can just tell, like, in in how she talks, like, she and I are on different planets about probably everything. But when we talk about caring for people, like, it's one of my favorite episodes. Like, there wasn't anything that we disagreed with. But, like, if we were going to look at political solutions, we were going to be on at odds, right? But... Abortion, to me, has always been one of those heart issues where you can, like, use the state to bludgeon your opponents, and you can use it as a topic to fundraise. Nancy Pelosi is sending her emails. Um, Cigar, uh, I forget what, the, the Crystal and Cigar show, like, posted Nancy Pelosi's fundraising emails, because they're not going to do anything about it, but they're going to take your money on it. And shows are going to use it to drive ratings because they want to piss you off. But, like, that's not going to do anything for anybody. That's not going to save it. Like, when the when the ruling came down Friday, like, as a Christian, I, I'm glad that my side has the ability to protect life. But it more made me feel like there's so much more work to do. And Christians are so not ready to do that work. Like, they, they they get a bad rap because most of the social service agencies that we're interviewing on the show, like, were started by Christians who are doing fostering care, doing things like um, Young Life and Embrace Grace, but there's not enough. Like, Christians are so willing to go to church and sit in the pews and give their money, but never their heart or their time to, to people who are in these tough situations. And this is just going to create more carnage. It's going to create more tough situations. So, like, to me, it's not necessarily a reason to celebrate. It's a, it's a, like, uh, it's people chasing after control of the kingdom instead of the king. And it's been sort of grievous as me uh, to watch as a Christian to see the reaction to a lot of this because... There's a lot of work to do and a lot of opportunities to do the work. But, you know, I, I just would caution people, if you're watching these shows that are just tickling your ears to get you to donate, to get you to listen by causing you to scream, uh, then you, you should just stop it. Because <laughs> so, so that's what this show is about, is just trying to get people to think differently, talk differently, and model good conversations about tough topics. Now, Reinhold, you son of a bitch, commie, can you please tell us where you stand on abortion? Um, so, I don't know how far deep and you want to get into this, but I I look at life, and, and Trisha had said something that kind of ties into what I'm trying to say here, is that um, human beings are are different than other life on this planet, right? We have you know, animals and plants that are all have their own like structures. They have their own cell splitting, breathing, that sort of thing. But what makes humans different is the fact that we have a sentience. 
we understand, we can comprehend that we will die someday. So that's really kind of what makes a being human, not just the fact that they have cell division happening or they're growing inside of a, a womb, etc. Now, I believe that life does begin at conception, but I also understand that it's not, it, it's more of a potential life than it is an actual life at that point. Um, and it's really hard to pinpoint a specific moment. It's not as easy as people want to try to make it. it you, you can say at conception, but what happens if at conception it doesn't implant? Is, is that a life or not a life? It, it, it just kind of flushes away. You know, I mean, it's not as clear cut and simple. It's very much more nuanced. And in that situation, because of that, it really needs to be a decision that's left up to the people involved. So a quick story. My wife and I were trying to get pregnant for several years. Um, she had pain one day. We went to the hospital, found out that she was pregnant. Then they came in later, 10, 15 minutes later, to let us know that it was an ectopic pregnancy. It was, it was inside of her fallopian tube. The options we had were to remove the fallopian tube or to take a, um, a shot of some medication. I don't know which it was, but it was supposed to kind of dissolve the pregnancy. Uh, so we had to make the decision on that, which way we wanted to go with it. We really didn't have much of a choice at that point of what we could do. But the last thing that needed to happen at that moment is to have another person in that room with a gun that other people have ordered to be there to make sure that we're not doing the wrong thing, to have a say in that decision. No one else had that right. And that's where I come on the abortion side of things is that this decision is so personal and so specific to each individual situation. It's not as, you know, easy to determine in every situation what the right answer is. It's really something that has to be left up to the woman and the doctor to determine what's the best solution for that person. Yeah. So I, I, I was talking with a, a couple um, liberal leaning female friends and they're like it's not that I'm pro-abortion it's that we're talking about women's health care and it just makes me pissed off that we're talking about women's health care and it makes it uh, extremely personal and just like maybe one of you ladies can explain it because they couldn't articulate sort of the rage <laughs> that was inside of them. And I said, if you've watched the inhumanity of Republicans for the last seven years specifically, that's a perfectly rational and reasonable position. It doesn't help either when you have... I said ladies, Reinhold. Go ahead, though. I just want to say it doesn't help when you have people who are supposedly political leaders in certain groups and movements who are just calling women who get abortions whores. All right. That does not help the situation at all. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> well, we could tone police all day. Believe me. Sarah, go ahead. Well, uh, no, I was just going to say that it's, <clears throat> I, I understand when they say it's, it's hard to articulate uh, because it kind of ties back to me in, in trying to explain why it's frustrating sometimes to have conversations usually with men, where we have to make analogies to help you to, to understand uh, how it might feel to be in the situation where you have another person growing inside of you, where you have another being 
uh, whether you want to say that that is a person or, or a fetus, but you have something else that is inside of you and using your body. Whenever we have to uh, have conversations to make analogies, we make analogies to inanimate objects because it's it's so hard to be able to really convey the personal nature of when we're talking about uh, legislating what happens inside of our bodies. Um, I mean, I, I think that's that's really the best way that I can articulate it is when we talk about it as, as a healthcare issue and and why these laws can sometimes just get so frustrating is because if we can talk about your property rights in regards to your house, you know, in a dispassionate state, and that's even something that people struggle to separate themselves from, how much more personal is it when we're talking about not just your, do you have the right to decide who's in your house, but do you have the right to decide what happens inside of your own body? And I mean, it just, it doesn't get much more personal than that. I get that. But the, like, if you look at the numbers from Florida, 2017, um, reasons women get abortion, rape or incest was 0.13%. Life endangering physical condition was 0.2%. Serious fetal genetic defect was 0.9%. Uh, physical or emotional health, 2.9 or 2.33%. Social or economic reasons was 16.25%. And elective abortion with no reason was 80%. So, that's the the ending of a life for because it's inconvenient well not necessarily so as far as like survey measures go i I mean as libertarians how often have you guys ever marked um refuse to answer when they're trying to gather demographic information in this case if there is a refuse to answer or no other reason specified when it comes down to a highly personal decision in which the other options are, do you not have enough money? Uh, do you feel like there's social pressure? Did, were you raped or are you harmed? And, and in a lot of situations, Sarah, they might just say, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. People don't like admitting being raped. <laughs> it, it feels bad, especially if that person is a relative of yours. Like you, you're actually putting yourself in danger for saying this person raped me. Like a lot of times you don't even get to tell the truth. Like telling the truth isn't an option for everybody. Yeah, but the argument so often is the Guttmacher Institute numbers and so many of the numbers, it's birth control abortions are the main amount of abortions that take place. And, and the, those are in it goes to sex education. They're not mm-hmm. taught about how to prevent pregnancy. So you said that's in Florida. Florida is an abstinence only education state. So, so how well does abstinence only work really bad? One of the most successful uh, abortion reduction measures that we have seen across the states is Colorado. When Colorado uh, provided uh, comprehensive sex education and free birth control to teenagers, they saw their abortion rates drop. So, um, so Sarah, I, I want to not offend you, but I think Will Coley is uh, saying here, what Sarah's putting forth is what I like to call infants as parasites theory, where you dehumanize the infant and refer to it the same as a tapeworm in order to justifying justifying its right to life. How would you respond to that? Uh, I absolutely do recognize the right of the infants. In fact, I think one of the things that makes these conversations difficult is when we do cross over into that IVF land. Uh, you know, if we are to recognize life at conception, then that includes the millions of embryos that are in freezers and likely to never be given any more chance at life than that. And that's a really relevant question for us to ask. Uh, what I think is the issue is that you have two lives here that are at stake. 
you have um, the woman and the life that is dependent on the woman. So we talk about and the baby's right to life. But when we talk about rights, we're talking about negative rights. And when you say that the baby has a life to right that then confers to it a right over the woman's body, you're turning that right to life into a positive right that says that somebody else can have a right to your body. Uh, to me, that's that's the same kind of logic that gets us to conscription, that gets us to slavery, is to say that there is a situation in which somebody else can have rights to use your body regardless of what you want. So I think that but, but where does, because there's a life, we should encourage women to carry pregnancies. But when it comes to allowing the state to come in and tell you what you have to do with your body, I'm not comfortable with that. So if there's a social issue that says women think that abortion is the easy way out, we need to address that. We don't necessarily need to uh, force a woman into that bad situation. Help her to see a better way out of that situation. Don't force her to be in that situation. We totally agree. And I want to talk about what we talked about yesterday with you know, what we can encourage and, you know, capitalism, all that. But I'm going to ask this in a very inflammatory way, Sarah and Kat way into and then Reinhold, you're your last. Uh, we, we are talking no, about. Trisha? Well, Trisha, I think is probably going to agree with me, um, <laughs> but she can weigh in, too, if she wants. Um, okay. We're talking uh, the conversation about abortion is always wrapped up in the the most dire position right okay but i i believe it's the murdering of a life it's the taking of a life and you are basically asking i i like when is it okay or for what reason is it okay to take the life right sarah because i don't i don't disagree with you on ectopic pregnancy but if you're pregnant and you just don't want to have the baby anymore because it's an inconvenient life. There's plenty of people in my life that are inconvenient, that cost me a lot of money, that make my quality of life worse, but I don't get to end their life just for those reasons. And I think that's, to me, what is uh, frustrating about the the more pro-choice position, because we're talking about very specific places where I agree, but we're not talking about the the larger set of people that just think it's their right to take a life. So I think there are, you're right, it is, comes down to when is it okay to take a life? And that is something that morally and legally are two different conversations. I, I think morally, uh, I, I kind of take the same position I do on, on it with self-defense, that just because you can shoot someone, just because you are legally allowed to shoot someone does not mean that you should. Uh, and if it is not too much of an inconvenience for you to incapacitate someone who is causing a threat to you or to just reduce the amount of threat that they can pose to you, then that is the the moral and just thing to do. But at the same time, I am not comfortable using government to force someone to do the moral thing. But the moral thing to me is I think we should make it easier for women who have unwanted pregnancies to carry them if they are able to. But that that is such a physically um, taxing thing that I can't decide for another woman if she's physically able to. I know I know for me, pregnancy was way harder than I expected it to be. Uh, you know, I, I have wanted to be a mother for years, uh, decades even. And when I actually finally got the opportunity to, the physical process of growing another human is something that is, we actually treat it like a disability in the United States is the way that we handle it. So rather than having maternity leave, a lot of places just have a short-term disability leave. Because pregnancy and childbirth are considered disabilities. 
Uh, and it's that kind of physical uh, threat that I'm not comfortable forcing another person to go through, but I will absolutely encourage someone to go through in service of another life. But I kind of view it the same way that I would uh, military service. If there's a just war that we're in, if there's, uh, you know, if our country needs defending, I will, you know, respect and appreciate any person who decides to go and risk their body in defense of my life and the life of our countrymen. But I'm not going to support a draft that says your body belongs to the state to use in defense of other people's lives. Because I'm not comfortable using your body, even if it is something that will help to bring another life to existence or will help to um, prevent another life from dying. It kind of would be the same as forcing people to give blood in a um, in a shortage. But what's interesting about the Dobbs case is that essentially that held that government does have the right to do those things. And it's con it's consistent with Supreme Court precedents that you don't necessarily own your body. The state has a right to legislate its use in a variety of ways. And this is just one that they've decided the state still has a right to, at the state level, legislate if they so choose to. Kat, go ahead. Respond to what I said, please. Okay. So um, I'm going to yes and Sarah real quick. And also respond to your question about um, sort of the fact that um, abortion is sometimes used as birth control, because I want to call back to the fact that I used to be staunchly I was at the rallies quoting abortion as murder signs like that's how I grew up. But, you know, you go to college, you start critically thinking, and I had to review everything that I thought of as morality. So now I am not a Christian at all reread the Bible, not down with it. So if you're looking at it from a moral standpoint of I'm a secular humanist. And so for me, I'm trying to reduce suffering, unnecessary suffering amongst people. And that's why sometimes I do like, I'm like, oh, with libertarians, I get that because I'm, you know, I'm a, for people who are just listening to this, I'm a black woman. So there's a lot what? of other issues. <laughs> You know, if you're watching it, you know, but honestly, like my voice doesn't communicate that I'm a black woman. I actually get a lot of privilege because I have a very Anglo name. And over the phone, I come off, I went to predominantly white institutions. So I come off as what might be considered white, but in person, very black. So, so when I do have to engage with the medical system, I do experience medical racism. I, uh, I have two children. Um, very difficult pregnancies. I had um, hyperemesis. So people who don't know, that's when you constantly throw up, even not just in the morning, all the time. Had to go to the hospital to be rehydrated. My doctor sent me. The nurse wouldn't admit me. She told me I was being dramatic. Uh, throwing up is a regular part of pregnancy. Go home. Honestly, the only reason I didn't leave is because I had to pay for parking. And I'm like, I'm not coming back up here again when my doctor sends me again. I know in my mind, doctors outrank nurses. She wouldn't admit me until I gave her a urine sample. And then finally, when she saw that my proteins were broken down, she admitted me into the hospital. By this time, I'm so exhausted. Like, I didn't have anyone with me. I would also say, too, if you go to the hospital, bring a medical advocate, because when you're sick, it's very difficult to advocate for yourself, if that's possible. When I had both of my children, if I hadn't had medical advocacies, there's a very good chance I would have died. Black women are three times more likely to die in childbirth than any other population. So that's a lot of times where I'm coming from it, where... Um, I used to think that because I was just taught that in school and in church, I was always getting the message, uh, life starts at conception. When I actually had to go and re-educate myself because I realized a lot of the things I was taught were not correct. 
what I learned was that that's not necessarily that. Yes, there's life. The ovum itself can be alive or dead. The sperm itself can be alive or dead. All of those things can be alive or dead. That can be the same for a fetus. To me, as a human, human, human secularist, when does consciousness starts? That's dicey. So like when we make these lines of, well, we know at six weeks there's no brain. Like when they use the heartbeat bills and stuff like that, heartbeats are cool. Lots of things have heartbeats because actually I do think we're animals. Like we're evolved from animals. We do have sentience, but there are other animals that have sentience. They don't talk like we do. But since we can moral, we can moralize, we can legislate, these legislations don't belong in this arena. It's been stigmatized as a political tool, like you said, by Republicans. I feel like my whole life I've been parroting a lot of Republican talking points without even realizing it because I wasn't educated about the subject. So I think I said enough, but got no, no, I want to, I want to ask you, you know, a, an eight week old child has the DNA, their own separate DNA. They have a heartbeat. If you can detect it, they have the ability to move. I mean, they have organs like at what point it, even just take religion out of it. Right. Just from a, if you believe humans do have sentience and there is a viable human being in that, that, that can be carried to term, at what point should you be allowed to end that life electively? I think we should leave that to experts, like bioethicists. Like, honestly, I'm not, a, I'm a podcaster. Like, I'm not a professional um, and medical expert as far as embryology goes. I know I was taught that there's a lot going on at eight weeks that actually isn't. So at eight weeks, there's no brain function. Like, and then of course there's its own DNA, but your ovum have its own DNA. Your sperm has, that's how they track rapists. Your sperm has its own DNA. So that's not, to me, an indication of sentience. So we would have to go into sort of a more a longer discussion of what the definitions of sentience is. But at that point, I don't think that a conscious creature is being harmed at an eight week abortion. Uh, eight month. At an eight month one. Yes, that is something that has a brain and can feel pain. OK, Reinhold, your your opinion about what I said. If you remember it, if not, I can try to remember what I said and rephrase it. And then, and then Trisha, you're up next. I think it had something to do with the people who are using abortion for birth control. Yeah. And then and, you know, what's your, and moral, I really what's think your moral that that's position a, a on that? Very, well, I, I think, first of all, the, that premise is kind of skewed in a way because I don't think there are many women, and correct me if I'm wrong, the women on the panel, um, who think that going to get an abortion is no big deal is not a no big deal. It's a painful procedure. Usually it's not, it's invasive. It's not something anybody wants to go do. So this idea that there people are using it as a form of birth control, it is opposed to a backstop when birth control fails. I'm not saying that issues. I'm not saying that anybody walks in and screams YOLO. I can tell you from personal experience that it's a very traumatic experience that that trauma never really it is. goes away. Uh, in my experience, but I think the polarization of the issue has caused some of that at the extremes. So like I, I have encountered, um, actually when I was in jail, I've encountered women who do think of it very cavalierly. Uh, but I don't think that that's the norm. At least that has not been my experience. And I think that that is something that we can point to having been caused by when you 
really emphasize the stigmatization of something that is still uh, a necessary thing for a lot of women, uh, even for healthcare uh, standards, then you try to legislate it, you get this cultural pushback that, you know, the shout my abortion movement where you where in order to try to counter the stigmatization, they say, oh, no, it can be something that you can be proud of. It's it's uh, a little bit of the, that's great at all. <laughs> it's a little bit of the own the cons that Reinhold has talked about, like we're going to be anti adoption because the cons are for it. Like, the yes. you know, um, Reinhold, finish up and then we'll go to Trisha to see what so. she says. Well, just it's just that that I think that so we have to determine when when that decision gets made and who makes that decision. Even if we disagree with the reasons behind it, you know, if you if you're going to try and say, well, we need to know every abortion that happens, we need to know why it's happening in order to uh, prove it or not approve it, then you're really just putting people in that decision-making process for everybody and for everything, not just the situations where you think it should be stopped at. You but have if to it's murder, right? It. If it's murder, Reinhold, and it's intentional, the intent is to kill a life. Why? Why well, do you not in, see that they're the? In my situation, you, you I, let I it go. Life. Let it go. Now, I'm not talking about right. your situation. I, I think the vast no, majority of saying, people understand your situation and don't agree that that's, you know. But that's the, the that's, you're not, you're, that's the problem is. is not that, everybody agrees right. with him. A lot of people right. agree that she should have bled out because that right. was God's but, will. But even worse, but even worse than it's that, it's, it's like, oh, sure. you don't, you don't get to say, you know, it's magnanimous to say, okay, well, in your situation, we won't punish you for having murdered somebody. But you're still saying I murdered somebody, Right. My wife and I murdered a child. It was alive. We killed it. Therefore, we're murderers. Now, we can say, well, we understand and, and we see the justification for it. But that stigma is still there when you do that. So the whole, all these talks about once it's, once it's uh, uh, conceived, that's it. It's a life. You have to protect it at all costs. Um, I just think that that's damaging to the reality of human life and what women have to go through in making that decision, whether or not they're able to continue on with that pregnancy or not. Trisha. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was thinking about um, what I said and how I do agree with you. And it's actually um, not necessarily that I believe life begins at conception. I actually believe it always was and will go on. Um, so I believe that, you know, we as human beings embody that here on earth. Uh, but the problem with that is that's my, my personal belief. <laughs> um, I believe in objective reality. I do believe that that's reality. It might sound crazy to some people, but I can't legislate for somebody to say, well, this is what I actually believe. And so therefore we need to make this law around this. Also purely the fact that I'm an anarchist so when you say, should the government, the only answer exist would be <laughs> the next part of the question. And I will say no. Um, yes, I do believe uh, that you're killing a child in the womb. And I do believe murder is occasionally justified. Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty disgusting to snip the back of a baby's neck when they can feel it. I think I find that purely evil. But. No amount of legislation is going to fix that. I guarantee you women will continue to have 
even late-term abortions. The way to fix it is not to make legislation that can be very, very dangerous. And if you look at Ohio's legislation, good Lord, I mean, there's, so if the mother's life is in danger, what needs to happen is two doctors that aren't professionally related need to come to that decision. Okay, I don't know how you do that working in a hospital because you're pretty much professionally related to everybody there. And if this woman's bleeding out, what, who are you going to just call some random doctor and see if he believes? It, it doesn't make any sense and it's frankly dangerous and stupid. Um, and so that that's my biggest issue with that. Would I like to see no uh, unnecessary uh, termination of pregnancy? Absolutely. Uh, but again, it's this, this is not going to fix it. I, just like I, you know, I'm not a big fan of heroin, but you know, making heroin <laughs> illegal has never really done much to stop people from using heroin. Have so you I considered think, aborting you know, Ohio? It sounds like <laughs> Ohio is, uh, yes, I, I'm, we're leaving Ohio eventually, but we're here Good. for now. Cat. And I want to say, too, this goes back to the idea of this really comes down to with the Roe versus Wade, the legislation of abortion, because the, I think it should be on an individual basis. If you if your conscience speaks to you that this is a life and you shouldn't and under any circumstances take it, then that is your decision. It's the same thing when um, people who are Jehovah Witnesses, they refuse blood transfusions because there is deeply held belief that that is something that is against their theology. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how they got there. That's none of my business. But if I go to the hospital and I need a blood transfusion and for some reason the Jehovah Witnesses are in charge now and they've legislated that you can't get blood transfusions now, like, I feel like that's the real slippery slope argument of now it just seems to be the personal morality of the people who get to decide what medical procedures people get to have. But I mean, at what point does the fetus have an individual right to life that needs to be protected? I, I honestly don't think they do. I don't think I had a right to be born. My mom let me be born and I'm glad she did. She wanted me. My mom had fertility issues. It took them six years to conceive. I'm. She didn't tell me until I was like almost an adult that I'm a miracle baby. I was like, I could have known this whole time I was a miracle. And now I'm just now finding out that like you, you were told by the doctors because they were looking into adoption. They were told she could not have kids. And so then and here I come along and boom, I'm here. I have two kids. I love them. They were deeply wanted. Um, but they know that I'm pro-choice. Like if I didn't want to have kids, I wouldn't have had them. I think they love the knowledge that they were deeply wanted. Um, I've worked in the school system. I've worked for non-for-profits. Um, these systems where we're for we're because we live in a state that's very unfriendly to abortion. And so the fact that there are all of these unwanted children that are in the system, they know they're unwanted. They're told they're unwanted. Like to me, that's why I say I'm pro good life, because there's what what can you say to them? It's like that's a horrible existence to know that you're only here because your mom was forced to carry you. Sarah, you look like you wanted to say something, and then I want to talk a, a lot more about what Kat just said, and I think let's find the places where we all agree and be pro-good life. Um, well, I think what, what Kat said was important when we're talking about a right to life. Um, she, it's not a right to life, as I, as I said before, when, as the way we understand it generally is a negative right. It's a right to, to not be killed. But when we're talking about a right to life, when someone's life is dependent on 
you know, the sacrifice of another person. We talked about that, you know, it, it is a wonderful, amazing sacrifice that mothers give, that they give their bodies for nine months to grow and, you know, bring another being into existence. But every baby is born non-consensually. Like that baby did not exist, uh, consent to being brought into existence and uh, did not necessarily ask to be born. But it also doesn't necessarily confer a right to be born. That is something that uh, is is a wonderful gift from the mother when she chooses to give her body in that way. And it's something that we should encourage, but is it something that we want to legislate? So I saw Lila Rose, a pro-life activist, um, say on uh, reels or Instagram somewhere that abortion is the only place where social ills are, uh, how, how did she phrase it? I don't want to screw it up, but I will. We don't kill homeless to solve a social ill, but it has become permissible and encouraged to uh, encourage abortion f to solve a lot of society's problems. No, but you know what we do? We do let them die. And right. that is also tragic. And there's a difference between killing and letting die. To kill is to actively be involved in the death of another person, but to let someone die is to not give what you could to keep them alive. If you don't give food to a starving person, if you don't give shelter to a homeless person, then you let them die. If you don't give your body to a gestating fetus, that fetus will die. You're letting them die. And that's not a morally positive thing. But it's not the same thing, at least to me, as killing. Kat, did you want to weigh in? I always want to weigh in. <laughs> I saw you. I saw, like, I watched your body language, and you're like, oh, I've got something to say here. Because that, cause I, you know, not that I believe, but when I was finally able to learn about evolution, because I went to a school where evolution was not only not taught, but was taught against. So when you learn about how evolution works, every species, every female of every species gets to decide who's born and who's not. And that creates sexual competition and that once again, it goes into sex education, like all of these things, biology, sex education, they go hand in hand. They're taught separately. But when you look at the larger picture of what what do we want as human beings? I'm, I'm currently reading How to Be Perfect, the Michael Shore book about morality and stuff. So a lot of this sounds like the trolley problem, right? Like, do you kill this person to let this person live? And then when you throw it up into another situation, like we're trying to get to these universal maxims. And I think what I've learned from this book is there are no universal maxims. And what we're trying to do is legislate universal maxims, which is conception starts at or life starts at conception. Whereas I would argue it goes back further because if I had a dead ovum that I dropped, like that was just dead on DOA, dead on arrival. And so I don't believe in the concept. I was taught the concept of a soul. I don't actually believe. I think that was just something that I was taught that was made the theology convenient. I don't think that's a real thing. I think that things that are real are incest. Like that happens a lot, like an uncomfortable amount. A lot of men have sex with their daughters. And I think because someone, you know, I have these discussions a lot. They say they feel like abortion is barbaric. I'm like, I feel like it's barbaric to make a girl have their father's baby. A lot of times that leads to suicide because if women aren't 
um, able to either escape those situations. One, financial is huge. That's why I'm in favor of universal basic income. That would solve so much domestic violence. You said you're having the coalition. I'm a survivor of two you know, like I've been in two abusive marriages and it just so happened I was able to find resources to get away. Lots of women can't. And so they stay in those situations. Um, a lot of men, uh, we talk about Miss Pat, like a lot of men have sex with underage girls a lot. The underage girls are blamed for that and are in put in these impossible situations where now you have to make a living and support multiple people. So to me, it it extrapolates into so many different areas. That's why this is such an impassioned topic, because people want. And let me just say, I've always been a baby person. I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I've all. That's why I was a pro lifer for so long. Because when they're like they're killing babies, I love babies. Like what the what are they? Oh, we can cuss, right? Yeah, go ahead. I was like, what the fuck? They're killing babies. Let's stop this. Like I'm out there holding the signs, and then. Um, it, it doesn't take long once my, you know, people around me and I see what actually happens when people get pregnant and things go wrong. And for so many women, sex is not a choice. It's a means of survival. And so and I mean, we're saying women, girls, a lot of times these are underage girls who are forced in these situations once a lot of times because they were unwanted children their, themselves. So they're a lot easier to prey upon. And I I had this thought too, because, you know, I went to Catholic school and, you know, the Catholics very anti-abortion. And I was like, well, you guys are raping the kids. Why should we just keep pumping out kids we can't take care of? You say you'll help us take care of them and then you're raping them. So to me, it's like, let's stop and think about this. Do I want to have kids? And am I even going to be a good mother? Can I provide for them? If not, this person that I'm living with who's constantly having sex with me and will kick me out if I stop, I don't know if I want to have their children. I'll stop there because I can keep going. No, you're good. Um, Patrick in the comments says, well, in cases where sex isn't a choice, an abortion should be a choice. Otherwise, you live with the consequences and the other person does not. Now, there's a lot of people who would say the life of the fetus, should, the life of the child should not be punished for the sins of the father. Um, yeah, my wife w went to a conference and ran into an organization called Embrace Grace, and she's working to set one up here because she found you know, she was a single mom who came from a very Christian family, uh, they they were supportive of her. But when you're in the situation where you're in um, a religious situation and an unwanted pregnancy and you have to tell your family, you know how it's going to go. And that's why I, I read in the, the bonus show some statistics from a book where it was like 60% of abortions are from people who are connected to churches. Uh, and it's simply because of purity culture and the way that the church and the, the so my wife really just feels like she wants to do something to to make change in that area. And this group, they 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 used to put like the pamphlets in the crisis pregnancy centers and, you know, with the pictures of fetuses and this is your baby. And it just didn't work. And so what they do is they send like care packages with a onesie that says something about the child being a gift and offers support groups, throws showers. I'm, I'm actually going to interview the group because I, I thought it was, they have a lot of interesting statistics. But what 
what Reagan basically told me is that you'd be amazed at how many of these girls don't have anybody to throw them a baby shower that don't have anybody to teach them some basics. They don't have anybody else that they can talk to about their experiences of being pregnant. They don't, they're completely alone in so many different places. And these are not like, not just people in economically disadvantaged situations. These are people like my wife who are just scared and alone because they don't have, they have not summoned up the courage to talk to their family about it. So they choose to end the life. And what they've found is that this group has like an 80% success rate just because they're doing something. They're being like Kat says, pro good life and offering support. There's groups for the moms after they have the child and there's support groups for the dads too, to get the dads involved. Um, we haven't talked. Can about- I comment on that? Yeah, go ahead. I was a part of one of those groups that threw baby showers okay. for expectant moms who didn't have support systems. And what always ended up happening was that they would reach out to me personally, because once again, it was usually black and brown girls and the baby shower is nice and everything. And they appreciate it and all, but later on they need real support. A lot of them call me because they were about to be evicted Um, They were like, well, we can get you pampers. It's like, well, I don't need pampers. I need money because I'm about to be evicted. And once and people and if you don't know, once you've been evicted, very difficult to get housing again. And so then a lot of times you end up living with someone who's abusing you and your kids like this is part of a abuse cycle. That's what I want to make people aware of, like, even though it's it's soft pedaled as this caring, nurturing thing, you're actually getting involved in a very deep abuse cycle that a lot of times you don't even realize you're a part of until you get older. And by the time your prefrontal cortex has developed when you're 25, you could have up to five or six kids before you even realize what is what game is being run on you. Um, So that's what I want to make people stoutly. I do believe we do need more support systems, but it's money. Like the the women need money to escape the situations they're in. So baby showers are nice, but that's a one time thing for something that you're raising your kids for. I mean, they say 18, but my son's 20. He's still living with me like he and he needs that support. He's not a fully grown adult like we now know like the insurance companies have known for years, like we don't let people rent cars until they're 25. We don't lower your car insurance until you're 25. It's because your brain isn't done developing until you're 25 years old. So the fact that we want these very young girls, sometimes as young as 12, to have babies by their abusers often is to me, uh, it's, it's, it's unjust. Like it's not giving you a fair shot at life. Sarah? I saw you shake your head. Go ahead. Oh, just that, you know, she's, I, I think that when we, we champion abortion as, as a solution, it's not, it's not a solution at all. What it is, is it is a, an option that for some women they feel is necessary. And the addressing the problems from the social aspect, you know, it, it is so much more, um, complicated than just you know throwing a baby shower and giving somebody you know a, an ultrasound. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to simplify to... that. By the way, I was just saying like, isn't it? it, it you, people have to realize they have nobody, and jobs are mm-hmm. a part of of these kind of. I mean, jobs are a huge part of it, and maternity leave, and I mean, you're you're kind of heading the direction I was about to ask you to take us. Anyways, the, the discussion we had last night. Yeah, that that um, there's um. The discussion we had had last night was that there's an interesting feminist argument when it comes to abortion that um, 
you can absolutely believe that it is a moral negative, that it is something that we shouldn't have, um, but that championing it as the solution to women's equality is a subpar solution to we have a um, world and a, an economy that is set around uh, men's cycles and men's uh, bodies rather than um, being built from the start to be inclusive of women and women's reproductive cycles. You know, we, you, you touched on at the beginning of the episode uh, that, you know, realizing how difficult it is to be a woman. And a lot of that is because our society is built around um, men have 24 hour hormone cycles and reproductive cycles. So you have you have similar experiences day to day, whereas for women, women have 28 day reproductive cycles. So the reality of just living life with the hormones of a woman is very different than it is for men. And the reality of producing children, the you know time you have to take off because of how physically taxing it is to birth a child, to you know gestate a child. And the easy solution to that from a capitalist perspective is if you want to have women be involved in the workforce, you just need to make it so that they don't have to be pregnant. And so how do we make it so they don't have to be pregnant? Birth control and abortions. Great. Easy solution. But that's because the harder solution would be really critically looking at our systems in our society and the way that we do work and the way that our jobs are function and say, does this actually allow for a woman who has to physically produce the children to be uh, a meaningful member of the workforce while also reproducing. So, so, so is that, that, that why I've seen a lot of my more left-leaning friends like roll their eyes at the corporations that are giving you money for abortions because they don't want to pay you for maternity leave? Yes. I think that's such a double standard is you are literally, you know, putting your foot uh, down to say, well, we're going to pay you to make sure that you can still be a productive employee, go get an abortion, come back, you know, don't miss your next shift. But it's really expensive for us to have to keep you on if you're going to have a child. So uh, we're legally required to not fire you for 12 weeks. That's all you get. You know, that kind of imbalance shows that they're, you know, they, they don't view the issue equally. So if you really want to be kind of neutral on the subject, maternity leave is just as important to actually allowing women choice as abortion is. Kat, we get to look the right way, do the right thing, be part of the, the, the trendy thing and say we're pro pro choice we're not going to actually do anything that benefits you uh, in terms of your benefits. I mean, talk about some of... So you said I'm pro-good life. What are other things that are a part of that that you think are important to women to encourage life? I mean, if where's the point of agreement to reduce abortion? What are the things that we ought to do culturally, you know, as a society, just to like move in a direction of being pro good life Define that for us first. So glad you asked, Chris, man, it's education. Look at all those books behind you and Trisha love this ginger life. I'm, I'm for it. Like this is, <laughs> you're, you're, that's what please we, plug your, plug your podcast too. talk about what your, the mission of your podcast is first. I'm in the fake ass book club with my best friend, Monica or Moni on the podcast. We want to encourage literacy. I feel like books are just so last century and we want to, people to know, like you can still read books. You don't have to get locked up to read books. You can read them when you're in gen, you know, when you're out, um, there's so much information there and having these different narratives gives you so much more insight and compassion into other people's lives. And so since I've been on both sides of the fences, because 
I don't think that people realize how deeply segregated our lives are. So I grew up in an all black neighborhood, but I went to all white schools. So I saw the same sort of inordinate thinking in both groups. And so when you read books from people centuries ago recently, you'll notice the human condition hasn't changed much. We're having the same issues over and over again. And a lot of times they are deeply rooted in sex. So to me, it would be more sex, real sex education, not what we're doing currently, but just let because I think as now we're coming into an age where we accept that there are different gender expressions, different sexual expressions, there's different relationship expressions. All of this has a room in a free society. And that's what I want to see more of, like more of these conversations, more of this education of different people's perspectives. Because when I was a professed, um, anti, when I had an anti-abortionist stance, it was because I only knew about my experience. I was brought up in purity culture. So it's like, well, I'll never need an abortion because I'll never have sex before marriage. But then once you go off into the real world, you learn sex isn't always an option. Like it's so, it's because it's not discussed as much as it happens Sex is so often not a choice for women. So I want people to be very aware of that when I was and even when I was staunchly anti-abortion, I still kind of in the back of my mind knew like if something happened to somebody I know, I'm not going to judge them for not wanting to have their abuser or their rapist baby. Like to me, here's another thing. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Is anyone familiar with the Dr. Klein story here in Indiana? The fertility doctor who was using his own sperm yeah. on his clients. Thank yes. One of the, uh, ha- I went to the, uh, for two years, I went to the Indy 500 banquet and one of the yellow shirts that I took is one of those girls, Heather. She's in the documentary and she. There was yeah. no legislation on the books to prosecute him. That's too like bad. to me, that's what was insane. And then, you know, the DA's like, oh, I don't know what you want us to do. Like, you wanted some sperm. He gave you some sperm. It's like, no, you have to be aware that the fact that he threw out my husband's sperm and replaced his own is a crime. Nothing on the books for that. And the fact that Indiana, to their credit, did put something on the books, but there's no federal law against that. So right now, men could be doing, I mean, men could be doing that willy nilly in their fertility clinics completely with impunity. And so like in a situation like that, if I found out that my fertility doctor had used his sperm instead of my husband's, yes, I'm getting an abortion like that's that we're stopping that right there. I don't want to I want I don't want a forever connection to this person. And like I said, I have a very staunch like I, I have a very outside of the box opinion on uh because I've had to reform these opinions. So I don't believe that consciousness starts at conception. Uh, Trisha, we haven't heard from you in a while. Let me, I mean, where are the points of agreement? How can we, uh, how can we serve? I mean, Roe Roe v. Wade, everybody is, is gone. We live in a red state. You live in a mostly red, it's a redder state. Um, It's, it's purple, but, um, what do we do now in terms of helping people in crisis and where are the agreements that both sides so can I have? Think, 
I think um, we could all say we would like to see less abortions. I, I think so. Maybe people, you know, don't take any issue with um, people just deciding to terminate without extenuating circumstances. Um, but an easy way to do that, and I just want to give props to Hody, um, Enemy of My Enemy. Uh, it's another show on the network. It's great. They did an abortion episode, and Hody actually um, was a paramedic that worked in a hospital. They talked about abortion. They didn't do one live, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was pre-recorded. So they did, they did um, an abortion. I saw a bad joke. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but Hody talked about, you know, he is pro-life, but um, kind of understands a little bit of the nuance of the issue. But I talked about how every single woman that he saw in there had nobody with her and had low economic means and was alone. And if you look statistically, it's Close to 75%, I believe, of women that get abortions are live um, at or below the poverty line and are mostly women of color. So I think one of the biggest solutions would be to end the drug war because and, and reform bail because they don't have partners. They don't have anybody economically supporting them. And when what happens is these young men um, are getting targeted by the police and being put into jail and into a system where they can't work. And, and they've done nothing to harm anybody but themselves. And I personally don't think, you know, especially marijuana laws, those are just insane to me. Ohio is insane. Um, they can't make bail. So then there's this woman out there that has no partner. She does not know what she's going to do. And she feels like she doesn't have any other option. So I think that, I think if we ended the drug war, I, I, we would just see the spinning effect of, you know, people coming out of poverty, fathers in relationships, women choosing to have this child because she has somebody else around to support her. And I think um, it's a shame that we don't talk about that because there's so many ills that would be solved by just ending the drug war. Uh, Kat, did you, <laughs> after every point, I just, I can tell Kat's body language already. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. I mean, there is something to do that, but, um, I, advice a female relative gave me a long time ago that really internalized was that if you have a baby, that's your baby. And I mean, it's nice and all if the man sticks around, but, and, and to her credit, my uncle, he was in, you know, her life and her kid's life, his entire life. But it, that would, to me, there's no truer statement. I had my kids because I wanted my kids and I could take care of my kids. Like for women, having a partner, having an involved partner is good. But quite honestly, I needed everyone in my life to have my babies, not just their father. And when my first husband decided to go off and do whatever, I still was able to take care of my son. But of course, I'm exceptionally privileged. I have great education, great support network, and I really, really wanted him. So it is good to have partners. The drug war, yeah, I agree with you on that point. But I don't think that's going to make women want to have, like, just because you have a partner, because there's still so much sexism. And especially in, I don't know how it is for white women, but, like, black men are really sexist. And so there's still this idea of most of the work is going to come down to you. So just that's the advice I would give to every woman. If you have a baby, that's your baby. And you better want that baby because they are going to take I mean, they they children just take, take, take. And if you if you're ready for it, it's fine. I wanted to go back to the education thing. I just learned this week that my mom, her sex education was so limited that when she had me, this was in the, I'm dating myself in the 70s. She didn't know it was going to hurt. 
Like that's how limited her sex education my, was. My she, grandmother told me, and she got married in 54, that she thought she was going to poop the baby. She grew up in a small yes. rural farm town. There's yeah. so there's and she's from the South. So there's a very concerted effort to limit when you understand like oppression. Ignorance is such an important component of being able to oppress people, which is why I love books. I always say I'm the reason it was illegal to teach women and black people how to read, because once you learn how to get the information yourself, you can be like, Actually, because even in the Bible, like there's there's instructions on how to give an abortion if you think your wife is cheating on you. So even the religious um, right, like this is a very new issue to focus on because they knew that this would be something emotional that people would hone on to. But throughout most of Christianity, 2000 years, this wasn't an issue at all. Uh, Trisha Cat wants to know if white men are sexist. You've been a part of reformed Facebook groups for the last three months. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, and, no. you know, I, I've, I consider myself a fourth wave uh, feminist, uh, meaning I believe that women are individuals and should be treated as individuals. Um, I do believe men and women do have unique characteristics. I do believe that. Um, but yes, especially um, in, in these like reformed, um, which is a type of, cri- of- it's a Calvinist Christian yes. stream. And I grew up in determination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it it the pendulum has swung so far to the right. I think there's a resurgence of this very conservative ideas and patriarchal ideas that aren't necessarily biblical. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're seeing a lot of that come out now. It's kind of you know the left swing way over until the right's followed back over. So all right, so we've I, talked I, about. I, well, I go ahead, to respond to the Bible not being patriarchal. I'm I'm rereading the Bible right now with a friend. That's another. Bible breakdown podcast at gmail.com. But they, the Bible is very patriarchal. I'm in numbers uh, thir- four, 19 right now, and it's wildly patriarchal. Like women don't have like anything. Like they're very firm about that. Actually, there was one passage that was progressive where they did give a wo- daughter their inheritance, but that's the only thing I found progressive so far. Have you I, read would, any I would, of the, I would, I um, would, Gnostic? Quiet. I'm speaking, Trisha. (laughs) (laughs) I would argue that Jesus is incredibly feminist. And the first time he reveals his divinity to anyone outside of his mom is to uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Like, if you look at the life of Christ, he is, I mean, radically feminist and, and empowers women across the board. So I would. But he also has not come to change a jot or tittle of the law. And the jot and tittle of the lot, because that's what they always bring back as a retort for when you try to do something progressive, because Jesus also said he hasn't come to change anything. And then you can go right back to that desert stuff. Yeah. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he clarifies how much different, like it, it's anyways, we, we can't get, we'll, we'll get into theological <laughs> arguments. Some I other have time. you on my podcast. Well, I yeah. can talk about that. Back here. <laughs> can I, can I use the religion to kind of pivot uh, towards the, the uh, judicial future? Well, let, one more, cause I want you and Reinhold to have an opportunity. So we've got in the drug war and education. What are some other societal changes that we could make Sarah that are going to lessen abortion? I mean, I, I'm a bad libertarian here, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with, with what Kat had said. I, I think that if, if I could ma- wave a magic wand and replace all of our patchwork of, uh, welfare programs with a UBI, I think that that would go a long way towards enabling people to, uh, it, 
leave uh, harmful situations uh, and be able to to choose life in those situations. Um, but I also know that that is a pipe dream and, you know, I don't have a magic wand that I could wave and replace the welfare state with a UBI. Uh, but for, you know, more grounded in reality, I think um, focusing on uh, really trying to change our culture towards one that is uh, genuinely accepting of women and in such a way that like there's. Yeah, yeah is, I don't understand. Gonna You're going to have to explain that to me. What is that? What is that? So this is this is going to be one of those things that takes generations and you can already see change that has happened. But I kind of relate this to, to Trisha's fourth wave feminist commentary, uh, which is that. A lot of our work to include women in the economic sphere and not just the home sphere of life has been trying to fit women in, to encourage women to be just as good as men, to do all the things that men do without actually making space for women to continue doing the work that only women can do, which is really what we're talking about in this situation. Only women can do the work of reproduction. And we have not really fostered a society which encourages women to be able to engage in that without uh, having to deal with some sort of penalty. You know, you still see economically, if a woman has children, even if she is well off, you know, upper middle class, has a great job and a great education, she will take a economic hit for choosing to have children. And we don't compensate for that really uh, in our in our social relationships like we we used to. We used to have this idea of, oh, well, you know, the men will do all of the providing and, and the women will do all of the child rearing. And there is no choice in the middle. Uh, but that way everything is split up. But now we have this expectation that, well, women should be able to do it all. Uh, and uh, men have not really joined in with that, trying to change the culture to allow for um, more allowance of those realities of childbearing. You know, you're going to have to take time off of work. Uh, so how do we build a society that allows for both men and women to engage in that work of child rearing while respecting that women have to do the physical work. I, my suggestion before we go to Reinhold, I just had to drop off the video because I had, I had to scratch my ear. I got these like silicone ear cleaners. I think all abortion debates should require people using a Q-tip to clean their ears while they're discussing it because you're never happier than when you're doing this and you can't be mad. This is so gross. And I just think it would really... Ooh, Strong disagree. That, that would change everything, Reinhold. Uh, Actually, while I'm talking, um, can I yeah, just... Go. I had a hard stop time. I have to stop at noon. Okay. Um, so I have to get going, but I really enjoyed this. I hope you'll have me back. Absolutely. Uh, Trisha, Sarah, Reinhold, this was great. Chris, it's always a pleasure. Um, everybody out there, get at me at Fake Ass Book Club and the Bible Breakdown uh, podcast because, listen, we get into it. All right, Kat, thanks so much Love for being you. here. We really Your body belongs it. to you. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Uh, Reinald, and then we, we, we're going to go long because I do want to ask the privacy question and the legality stuff. Uh, but Reinhold, anything to add on the large structural changes before we move on to that stuff? Well, I, I've been saying for a long time that I think that society has to move forward before even, even the ideas of libertarianism we've been talking about, um, for years is like, that's only going to work when society works hard to take care of everybody take care of itself right so to be to care about what's going on in another person's life to want to make sure that everybody's taken care of to not uh, turn a blind eye to people who are having you know 
problems through through maybe the fault of their own or even no fault of their own right so like the homeless people and and people who are, are addicted to drugs because of mental abuses the things that happen then not getting the mental health that they need doing all of these things including getting rid of the invasion into our lives by things like the drug war and systemic racism and systemic sexism within our government um once we can kind of get all of that out of the way i think then a lot of this stuff heals itself because most of it is broken because we're trying to tell people how they need to live without giving them the means to actually live the better life. Uh, Sarah, go ahead and then yeah, transition. Us. Yeah. I was like, can I real quick to give my, my utopian where we could go in the future. So the, the beautiful way we could solve all of this and not have to have any arguments about this is to allow for technology to solve the problem. So right now, uh, a lot of our debate is around the point of viability. We've moved up the point at which you can have a child to survive outside of the mother. Uh, but there's still a lot of both legal and ethical red tape around doing the kinds of research that will one day hopefully allow us to have artificial wombs and human fetal transfer. So one day in, in hundreds of years in the future, I, I can hope that we will have artificial embryos and women who want to be pregnant but can't, uh, you know, can't conceive on their own, who are able to hook up with women who have unwanted pregnancies and go to a transfer clinic and take a pregnancy out of one woman who does not want to be pregnant and put it into either a machine that can gestate it to the point where it can be independent or into a woman who does want to be pregnant. And we won't have to have this conversation about, you know, legislating what women can and cannot do with their bodies because we will have solved the problem of, you know, maintaining that life. Uh, but that is still probably a few hundred years in the future. So let's um, let, let's talk about some of the legal stuff because one one thing you guys keep bringing up is privacy, uh, and I keep seeing it from the left. But I don't know what you people are talking about because I'm so blinded by uh, the fact that lives are being terminated <laughs> that I go, yeah. But so when you, when Reinhold, when you talk about the privacy and the change in in Roe, is it what happened to Jane Roe? Sarah and Reinhold, where somebody overhears something and then we're putting... Because basically, pre-Roe, you had... Every state had different laws and a patchwork of laws. And you you were prosecuting doctors and nurses. So, and then Roe was kind of different because she was prosecuted and put in jail for the abortion. The mom was put in jail. So go ahead, Sarah. Well, so... Um Prior to Roe, there was another Supreme Court precedent that that actually ruled on, on the medical portion of this, where a lot of the laws were, you know, they accept the life of the mother. That came down to a decision between the woman and her doctor. And the Supreme Court had actually ruled before that that determination of if it is a risk to the life of the mother can also include things like economic risk and mental health risk. And therefore, it is just a decision between her and her doctor. It came down to you've kind of have to just find somebody who will agree that you deserve an abortion in this situation and sign off on allowing you to do so. Um, but as far and, as the, just go ahead. I was going to say, we, we've already seen some of this too. In there was an email that was sent to um, hospital staff, uh, you know, nurses, things like that mm -hmm. um, on the new law in Texas, where they have to now report on any cases that come in for women who fall into a category of certain um, symptoms that might fit along with an abortion so that they can be investigated. And the list of things that can 
be symptoms of an abortion are very broad, like arrhythmia, having heart palpitations, bleeding. All of this stuff is there's a lot of other reasons why that could be happening. So now we're telling by law that these medical professionals have to report to the police all these situations that are then going to go get investigated. And I think that's a huge violation of privacy. It's more of a. Yeah, you you had um, you would go you like in one case, a woman went, got an abortion. Her doctor said no. And then went back after complications because there were usually complications. So and and you just have to hope that the doctor that is treating you isn't going to turn you in for for having vaginal bleeding. So the the medical reality of abortions pre Roe and now are very very different. So the majority of abortions that are done now are not the surgical abortions that were done pre-Roe versus Roe. It used to be that you had to go in and have a doctor who would physically remove the pregnancy, the the amniotic sac, uh, from your uterus. Uh, But now most abortions are done through abortion pills. Mm. So it's an outpatient procedure. It's it's two um, pills. One pill that you take um, stops your body from uh, producing and releasing uh, uh, progestin, which is what... Uh, it keeps your uterus. It basically is what keeps the pregnancy in your uterus. It's the hormone that your body produces in order to to um, maintain the pregnancy. So you take one medicine that stops your body from producing that, and then the second medicine causes your uterus to contract and expel whatever is inside of your uterus. So for most women, that's how they do abortions. They're done at home, and they are physically indistinguishable from miscarriages. So when we talk about why would this be something that would result in miscarriages getting investigated it's because there is literally no way to tell the difference between a woman who took pills at home and induced a miscarriage or an abortion and a woman who did nothing and had a spontaneous miscarriage or abortion so it's not now when you see like the forceps being put in ripping the child limb from limb that's not how abortions are done in 2022 not the majority. So okay. later term surgical abortions, that is that is what we're talking about is they go in and they physically remove the fetus. But uh, before 12 weeks, there's just uh, it's I think two pills of one and four pills of the other that you take over the course of uh, 48 hours. And so what's to stop me from calling the Canadian pharmacy and having them send me RU486 if that is even used or whatever? Absolutely <laughs> the debate over that. Uh, that's mifepristone is what that is. Uh, that absolutely nothing. That is one of those two pills. So that's really the problem of bans. Now, you know, we can, we can just go back to the libertarian concept of bans don't work that when we're talking about trying to ban abortions at this point before 12 weeks, that means trying to ban pills from entering your state and being used by a person. Now, how has that worked so far with other pills that we try to keep people from taking? Yeah, like I can get ivermectin, and I wish Cat were still here because Cat is pro vaccine mandates, and that was one of the things that we argued a lot about. I was like, "How can you be pro choice and argue bodily autonomy, but then you're going to force me to get a vaccine?" And she argues for the public good, and I'm like, "That makes no sense. Like, you can't." I, I, I don't know. Does anybody want to weigh in on the bodily autonomy of, of the dichotomy of these two sides having completely divergent opinions on two well, different issues? Well, what I find what if, Reinhold first, white male wins. Yeah, what I find interesting is that the decision it, uh, to strike down Roe v. Wade could also be used as a precedent to say now that 
mask mandates and vaccine mandates are completely constitutional. And what's funny is watching all the people who are screaming against mandates, vaccine mandates and mask mandates, which, you know, are the ones who are also now saying, hey, we should get rid of Roe v. Wade. Why would this why would this be a, a justification for that? Well, because what it's saying is that there's nothing in the the, the way that the decision was read written, which, which was, in my opinion, horrible, um, was saying there's nothing in the in the Constitution against uh, for abortion. Just, there's not a mention of abortion in the Constitution. Therefore, they have no power over well, determining. It, it, to paraphrase but, what I what I uh, there's when the 14th Amendment was written, there was no reasonable expectation that you had a a constitutional choice of abortion and it was outlawed. And so therefore this doesn't count. But then he also kind of mentions, um, this could also be used for prostitution and other bodily autonomy. Well, no, Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas has been slandered. I'll argue with you on that later, but, um, let's stick to the mandates thing. Why Sarah, I know you mentioned this too, Reinhold. But Reinhold, finish your point because I love to interrupt Reinhold. Man's right. him. There's no Ninth Amendment protection now for you owning your own body, right? That was what we, we always, as libertarians, we try to say that part of what we're talking about is self ownership. That we own our own bodies. That no one else can tell us what we can do with our own bodies. How, how does and, the Supreme Court returning the decision to states erase Ninth? What are you talking there's about? A, there's a Ninth Amendment that states that just because a right is enumerated within this the Constitution does not infer that there are no, no other rights that people retain. But what the decision so said is what the decision said is that this isn't enumerated into the Constitution, mm-hmm. and so therefore it's up to the states or the Congress to articulate this constitutional right. We that Roe created that That's, constitutional right. That's tell, that's saying that the Ninth Amendment is an ink blot that it doesn't exist. Well, the problem is that, that Bro was not nest, was not just argued on Ninth Amendment. And Casey was determined completely on Fourteenth Amendment grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sorry, I'm going to be off camera for the remainder. Um, so, the problem is that what they determined was that the argument. I put a quote in the. Uh, private chat here so to just just quote from the majority opinion it says attempts to justify abortion through appeals to a broader right to autonomy and to define one's concept of existence prove too much those criteria at a high level of generality could license fundamental rights to elicit drug use prostitution and the like so what they held was that there is no constitutional right under the way that it was argued to individual autonomy what it doesn't say is that there's no other right that could be argued under the Ninth Amendment or even the Fourth Amendment, but that's not how Roe and Casey were argued. So that's where you get into this kind of like legal, you know, fine points that this is not going to be the last time that the Supreme Court hears issues about abortion. I mean, at the very least, there are very legitimate interstate commerce issues that are going to have to be addressed. Like, how do you deal with if one state says you cannot use abortion pills? Well, what if you travel to another state and meet a doctor who is allowed to give you abortion pills and he mails them to your home? Is that allowed? Are they allowed to go after the doctor in another state? Those are the kinds of things that the courts are going to have to determine. Which sounds like slave fugitive laws. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Because you're trying to control what people can do with their bodies. And that's 
it, because that physical autonomy, this is where we get philosophical, is an inalienable right. It's something that you can't proactively take away from people. It's why slavery wasn't something that was able to be universally enforced either. People still ran away from slavery. People will still seek out ways to use their bodily autonomy and be able to exercise that right. Tricia? Yeah. Um, one of the issues I see here is um, I do believe in decentralization, but when it goes down to states, certain states make really, really stupid laws and privacy um, is a big issue because if you looked at what Texas did, and I don't know if it got up to there, the courts where somebody could um, basically tattletale on somebody else and it needed to be investigated as far as abortion. So you have citizens that are able to just basically, you know, uh, and what happens then, I think, is I don't know if a lot of people realize about 20 percent of pregnancies end in miscarriage. Um, so that happens quite often uh, when somebody say you have a miscarriage and there's somebody that, oh, I don't know, like this never happens with CPS or something that doesn't like you and decides to send the cops to your home because you've had a miscarriage. Like these are really this is a really slippery slope and it's really, really dangerous. That's one of the things um, that really bothers me the most, the precedent to start investigating um, every part of your private life just because you happen to have a uterus. So. Reinhold, I, I we got to wrap. The baby has awoken over at Sarah's house, so we want to uh, be respectful of the young child. We are pro-child on this podcast here. Um, so let's start wrapping up. Reinhold, I know uh, you wanted to rant about this, so the floor is yours. Give us your give us your rant, my man. Oh, I've, I've hit most of my big points, but my rant is basically that if you remove the the only indication in the constitution of the support of body autonomy and that the 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 only legitimate function of the federal government should be to protect everybody's rights everybody's natural rights then allowing this to be decided by the states or by a county or something else other than the individual who is the one who has that body autonomy is a is a gross violation of of that concept of self-ownership. We have self-ownership. That's what we argue, obviously, as, as libertarians, that we own our own bodies. And if you make a law stating that a woman, when she's pregnant, has to now become a forced incubator, you're telling that woman that she doesn't own her own body, that the government does. The government decides on what she can do with her body, not anybody else. So, I have a huge problem with that concept. Now, I don't want to see abortions happen. I don't like the idea of abortions. I have still, you know, some basic trauma for the situations that I've gone through with my wife when we were trying to have children until we couldn't. Um, and and so I never want to see that happen. But I also understand that it's not my choice to make. It's that individual's choice to make and nobody else's. And that, that's really kind of how I see that sort of thing. So. Let's uh, let's and, and, I, and I and I agree okay. with I agree with Sarah on one other thing too is that we have been we have been taking that viability date down further and further and further through technology and once we get to a point where that no longer becomes an issue that we can remove that I think that really ends this whole discussion at that point. Uh, let's let Sarah go next so she can uh, drop off. Go ahead, Sarah. Final thoughts. Just that this is not the last time that we're going to have to to see this as an issue. Um, and 
when it comes down to it, if you really hate abortion, there are so many things that you can do that will reduce the occurrences of abortion. And it starts with really embracing the the mothers in your neighborhood and the people who are flawed. Um, you know, I think the last thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, from a religious standpoint, there are a lot of religions that are actually challenging the Supreme Court right now um, because they are concerned that these laws that are restrictive on abortion actually uh, are a violation of their right to uh, religious freedom. So currently there's a case uh, where I believe it's in Florida or uh, there's a synagogue who is suing the state of Florida over their abortion laws because uh, in Jewish law, if the woman's life is at risk, uh, then you are actually required to have an abortion. Um, Under Muslim law, uh, a lot of uh, imams interpret that a woman has the right to abortion for any reason within the first 120 days. Uh, and there's even a group that wants to challenge uh, a law on the rights of uh, religious freedom for pagans because under their ethics, they are required to end uh, as early as possible any unwanted pregnancy because they're uh, demanded not to bring unwanted children into the world. Uh, but these are all different religious views on a very contentious topic. And now we got to take them all to court because the concept of really just kind of keeping religion out of these issues, not trying to moral, not trying to legislate morality and leaving these hard choices up to the individual is something that's really hard for us to wrap our head around. Yeah. By taking the case, they were going to cause more carnage. Like if they had ruled the other way, they would have created new standards and and it would have caused all kinds of issues the other way. But by taking the case, it's, it's just a, it's, quite the thing so sarah uh we wish you the best thanks for being here we know you you are giving us a real-time uh example of the uh, struggle of the mother and productivity in work (laughs) but uh, we appreciate you so much and thank you so much for being here well thank you for having me and he is he's happily having some peanut butter puffs now (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll talk to you later Uh, trisha your final thoughts i i want to just you know address the justice thomas thing so Thomas basically said he did not say let's go after uh the let's go after Obergefell essentially let's go after the Texas case where you it was basically anal sex for gay men and some of these other things he's like if you if you want to be consistent then you have to go after these things but then in basically uh Alito was like we don't know what Justice Thomas is saying. This is only about abortion because it deals with life. And then Justice Roberts, in his dissent, was like, yeah, I'm the swing vote, and that's never going to happen, so don't worry. Um, so I think there's been a lot of information out there about Justice Thomas's uh, comments, and that's sort of the very uh, layman explanation of what he was saying, is let's be consistent uh, and justice roberts kind of gave some assurances so if you are worried now that doesn't mean reinhold that the ag of texas and these congressmen from florida and all these other people will say extremely dumb things uh and but i i just uh part of a constitutional republic is we talked about this with the statues is that everybody gets to work everything out and if you have a, a body that determines whether or not to take down a Civil War statue, all sides get heard, and then usually the right, the right side wins. 
Uh, abortion is largely contentious because society was advancing towards a more pro-choice position, and Roe v. Wade... Sorry, that wasn't me. Um, kind of sped up the process and changed the laws of those 43 states. Something like gay marriage, which was determined by society largely and government was a lagging indicator, is just not up for discussion. And and they write about it in one of these decisions that essentially it's also easy. It's easy for the government to determine okay, you two can get married, you two can get married, you two... Like, there's no complication, right? With abortion, as we've talked about, there's so many different layers of complexity here that it's not as clean-cut as a Burgafell. So I would say that uh, if you are seeing a lot of information about how those rights are under attack, I, I, I... I don't know. I mean, I would have said Roe v. Wade, Reinhold, was never going to be overturned and was just wasn't a discussion. But I think I this is for years. This is, I think, a a moment where people need to get really involved in the discussions. Like, uh, if you're concerned about IVF, if you're concerned about ectopic pregnancies, if you're concerned about just basic rights and rights to privacy like we've talked about as a lot of these states start to write or rewrite their abortion laws you have to be contacting your representative you have to be getting a meeting with them you have to be engaged in the game uh because republicans will go too far and be ridiculous that's just how it is right trisha yeah are we doing final thoughts are we uh, you you could uh, I mean Reinhold if you want to Clarence Thomas is married to a QAnon person <laughs> right yeah Reinhold do you have anything that you want to add to what I said before Trisha's final thoughts just just be, just to point out that what Justice Roberts is, or Justice um, Thomas is saying that if we want to be consistent we should take a look at these other things and he's right if you're going to be consistent you either have that right to body autonomy or you don't. And this, if you don't have that right to body autonomy, then the government does have a say. They can make laws on who you can marry, on who you can, you know, be involved with, what sexual acts you can perform, etc. That's all within the realm of what was decided with Roe. And even though you have Tom, you know, the other justices saying, yeah, but we're not going to take any of those cases and we're never going to decide that, just tells me that they're not being consistent. They're they're going this route on this decision because of political reasons and not because of the law, in my opinion, and not, not because of a standard of you have this right or you don't I mean, have this the right. The constitution isn't consistent, you know, <laughs> so that's an issue in and of itself. Well, I think the constitution is also not libertarian. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> I saw, Sorry. Go ahead. I, you're I'm fine. still here. <laughs> that, that's something we sometimes forget is the constitution is great, but it's not libertarian. <laughs> Yeah, there's amendments to it. Right. And I'm going to use my back scratcher. See, you if you have well, these discussions... You just think about the fact that we... It actually, in, in the Constitution's existence, implies that we don't have bodily autonomy because they made me consent to something that I didn't consent to. Okay. Uh, just right uh, off the bat. So, I, saw, I, mean, I saw one person anyway. tweet, uh, <laughs> what if the Constitution's bullshit? It was a leftist. And... This is some libertarian. I think it was Mitchell Mankiewicz wrote back. Okay, Lysander Spooner. Uh, Tr <laughs> Trisha, final thoughts. 
Yeah, um, I am pro-life, and I am a little bit ashamed of some of the way that my fellow pro-lifers are um, talking. I I might have a bit more of a nuanced position than they do. If you want to uh, make less abortions and try to get somebody to see your point about believing that that's a life and not taking a life, the worst thing you can do, especially if you're a man, is call them a hoe and laugh at them. Um, and of course, yeah, if you are a pure virgin man that has never spread your seed, go ahead and maybe say that. No, no, no. Don't make virgin. fun of our listeners. But I, I just wish people could have... <laughs> no, I, I wish people would, would treat people more lovingly just because even if you believe that that person did something wrong, are you going out there and screaming at the people doing drugs? Are you... It, it's... It, it's no way to make it any better. It's not doing what you think it's doing. Um, You know, you're just, you sound like a Pharisee. So I would just say, try to treat people a little more lovingly and look at the nuance of the situation. And, you know, that's the best way to try to prevent uh, more abortions from happening. I would highly recommend um, if you want the, the correct Christian response to basically anything uh, it's Matt Chandler. Uh, but if you want a really good sermon on this and the responsibility of the Christian in this moment and how to react to it and the Christian position on abortion, the Village Church, uh, a sober celebration of life, I'll put it in the show notes, along with um, two podcasts that are on different uh, sides that kind of break this stuff down. Opening Arguments, which is from the left, and Advisory Opinions, which is from the right. Um, Both good podcasts that can give you much more informed legal nuance than this podcast. We're just regular people talking about big topics uh, and giving our perspectives. But uh, they come at it from... They're they're like lawyers that study this stuff. So uh, three podcasts that i would recommend that you listen to but that you know matt chandler kind of talked about what you talked about trish and what i talked about earlier it's like some of you think that you're being persecuted for your christian opinions you're being persecuted for being a jerk (laughs) so uh going out and being a radical asshole and then chalking it up to being persecuted is not how it works buddy um which i don't think many of our audience uh does that but Yeah, I I would just say, I would reiterate for my final thought that, like, abortion's never fully going away. It's an issue of the heart. It's like suicide. You can legislate suicide till you're blue in the face or war or any of these things, like, or drug use or homelessness. It's a matter of uh, the way that you fix it is what we talk about on this podcast all the time. You serve your circle. You serve the 100 people around you. If you don't have 100 people in your circle that you talk to on a regular basis, then you need to get out and you need to make at least 100 people that you come into contact with. Get get involved in a group. Get involved in a secular group or a church group or whatever. You need to to, uh, be in community with people. And then look for opportunities to serve. And that is really how you start to solve all of these different social ills, is when you see somebody that's going through something, like our buddy Donald, who's here in the comments, you know, talking about how he he was homeless and got a job and started budgeting and stopped doing drug use and has had to make the choice of, you know, do I want to spend this on meth or do I want to spend this on rent where I have a place to lay my head? I'm sure he wasn't alone in getting off of some of those things. And he uh, he has found community with the Bob and Tom folks. And that's given him a community. So, 
you have to be a part of the solution. You have to be a part of the change, and you have to look at the contributing factors. Are you are you a religious person that if your daughter got pregnant, are you the person that she could come to and say, I'm pregnant and would be received with love or would be received with being casted out? I'm guessing if you listen to this show, you're going to be nice about it. Um, but do you know people that wouldn't? You know, this is a, this is the time to to kind of step up, get active, and start talking to folks. Um, let me check this before we go. Mentoring, yes, Reinhold. Mentoring is hugely important uh, and can change lives. Like, are you at work? Are you mentoring the younger people? Are you a younger person that needs mentored? There's in Indianapolis Edge or Starfish Initiative. There's a lot of mentoring groups that you could join locally, but you've got to get involved and start uh, getting active with people. It will be great for you and your soul. Even if you're a secular humanist like Kat, it will be great for your, I don't know if she thinks you have a soul, but it will help. All right. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. We just appreciate you and thank you so much. This is a long discussion, uh, but if you learned something, then please share it. That is the greatest way that you can help us. Thank you to Sarah and Kat and Reinhold and Trisha for being here. And thank you to all of our patrons who make this possible. And uh, we really do appreciate all of you until next time we say, I don't know. We don't have a close. We don't, I don't have a sign off. I need to think of something. Give me suggestions. Talk to you later.